Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Steward works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Steward has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Steward is proud to be a certified B Corp., Seek financing or support a loan campaign at GoSteward.com. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today our guest is Michael from Terra Vita Micro Farm. And he is a first generation farmer, built the farm operation from the ground up, starting with two vertical microgreen racks. He has a degree in biology and they farm very biologically minded, trying to set up ecosystems and habitats along with their high rotation farm operations. They are certified organic, seasonal produce, microgreens, edible flowers, mushrooms, herbs, hemp, and honey farm. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Share a little bit about uh, you know what got you into farming. Really, it was going through college and going through all those biology classes. Um, it, it really just helped me connect the dots between um, health and wellness and the human body and what we're supposed to get from the food that we're supposed to eat. Um, hmm. And just kind of how the whole grocery store paradigm kind of took over how we've eat, like started to eat every meal. And uh, I, I saw flaws in there and then our medical system kind of being so upside down. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of pushed me in the farming direction. I, I knew there was a better way. I knew I was on the right path. And uh, it just seemed to kind of fit in with how I was thinking and the way my life was kind of moving at the time. Gotcha. So where did uh, you first, you know, get your hands dirty? Uh, well, I grew up in uh, Western Pennsylvania uh, in a small rural town called Butler. And we have a lot of, um, you know, dairy production, but also a lot of uh, monocropped uh, corn and soy and stuff like that everywhere. Yeah. Um, my uncles up there own a hundred acre dairy farm that whenever I was younger, I'd help with uh, the hay whenever uh, it, it was that time of the year. Um, but it, it was mainly like crap jobs, like... Um, you know, standing in the trailer, stacking up the bales as they came shooting out, or they'd always stick me up in the loft of the barn to stack the That's bales. Brutal. Yeah, just all the dust and dirt all over the place. Um, so so I grew up not really enjoying farming or, or what I thought was farming. Um, and uh, really, it was whenever I first started to grow my own plants when, whenever I first started to develop my own relationship with plants. Um, and that was primarily with a lot of like medicinal and tea herbs. Um, it kind of snowballed from there and just caught fire. Mm, mm -hmm. So, all right, going through college, you started um, seeing the need for that. The biology kind of pushed you over to why it's important. Um, what was the first year like? 
you know, it, it, it was very uncertain, you know, um, I, I had this dream of having my own farm someday, but I didn't own any land. Um, I didn't really know how I was going to go about doing all that. Um, at the time, I was helping another farm uh, set up this microgreen business. That, this was probably like seven or eight years ago. But, okay. Um, set up a, a microgreen operation for them. Um, just this new thing that they heard about they thought might be cool to try out. So I kind of hit the ground running with all that for them. Um, unfortunately, uh, that farm went under. Uh, so um, I was kind of in a situation where I was graduating college. Um, I was stepping away from that job. I knew I wanted to start farming. I saw the value in these microgreens. Um, so I was like, well, this is a good place for me to at least get my foot in the door. Um, I started growing those and uh, really that first year it, it was just a couple racks uh, it, it quickly grew from uh, two to five to 11 um, and that was all in a townhouse at the time I turned a two-bedroom townhome basically into a studio apartment with a large workspace um, uh-huh we were growing a ton of microgreens then, but I, I was still always worried uh, that microgreens were going to be a, a fad crop. You know, they might not be around forever. They might not demand yeah. as high as a price point as they did. Um, so I was always looking for ways to like expand and diversify. Um, so, so we've just always kind of been looking at that side of things, you know, um, how can we get better? How can we grow our farm? Uh, what different products can we offer to give us more resiliency? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's, so starting with the microgreens, what were your markets? Where were you selling them? Uh, well, fortunately enough, we live in a uh, really great spot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, it's a big hotspot for tourists, but we also have a huge mm -hmm. college presence in this town. Um, and probably about 10 years ago, they really started putting a lot of effort into really turning Wilmington into like this gastro destination for tourists. Um, so yeah. a lot of fine dining, a lot of micro brews, stuff like that. Um, so our initial markets were just to the restaurants gotcha. um, and that was enough to support us for a while. Eventually we did start doing the, uh, some local farmers markets and we branched out from there a little bit more as well. Gotcha. Okay. So with the restaurants, let's talk a little bit about like, what, what was your technique to approach them? Um, like I said, I, did start that microgreen operation for that other farm. So that was kind of my yeah. initiation into all of it. Um, just really finding the times of the day when people were going to be there and, and not be um, uh, too busy to talk to me, essentially. Um, I'd, I'd always take them in a little uh, sample of product, um, ask to speak to kitchen manager or chef, um sometimes they would think I was there to apply for a job myself so I'd have to get past that sometimes but yeah. um uh yeah yeah after that you know like it, it, everybody that uh, I've ever come in contact to in the kitchens is always real friendly and once they see that you're bringing them something beautiful they're they're always happy to see you so yeah yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about um, kind of like what scale are you on now? What crops are you focused on? 
Yeah, well, we still do the microgreens. They're, they're, they're still a big part of our operation, um, but we've definitely diversified. Uh, we were growing a bunch of mushrooms there, which we've recently stepped back from, but are starting to, to get back into the process of getting them going again. Um, we do a lot more seasonal uh, veg. Um, after the microgreens, uh, whenever we started to expand, um, the first thing was edible flowers, then we started doing mushrooms, then leafy greens, and now we're up to the seasonal veg, the honey, and we're thinking about chickens and stuff too. Um, gotcha. We still, uh, we still do a lot of the leafy greens, you know, they're, they're one of our bigger money makers when it comes to the field produce. Um, but we're always trying to grow new stuff too. We have a CSA we've been doing for the past year now. Um, so always looking for cool new products for our customers for that as well. Yeah, yeah. Now the space that you're growing the microgreens in, talk a little bit about that. Is that like a, a old truck? Uh, it's a shipping container. Yeah. Okay. All um, right. And you, you find that keeps things cool enough or how do you, how do you vent in the summer? Yeah, we have a uh, dedicated AC in there. Um, okay. And, and, and there are open vents on the shipping container too. Um, it, it, it's not my favorite place to, to have them as uh, it can get a little stagnant in there and airflow is not the greatest. Mm. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it serves its purpose. It does a well enough job. The, the goal for us is to get them into a uh, dedicated uh, caterpillar tunnel of some sort. Yeah, um, just to get rid of the power bill, because right now we're using all the supplemental lighting and all that stuff. So I'd, I'd yeah. like to get rid of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want to want to use the sunlight if you got it. For sure. Um, now, I see you're also using a lot of compost. Where's your compost source? Uh, we have a local company here called Wilmington Composting Company. Okay. Um, I'm really good friends with the owner. It's a family business. Um, they... Oh, man, I, I, I want to give you the exact year they started, but I, I can't remember. It's probably been like three or four years ago. Okay. But um, he uh, has a really cool program where he does like residential and restaurant pickups or, or services. So he'll leave you a container. Um, you can fill it up with all your compostable material. And then he'll come pick it up. He takes it back to his farm site where they compost everything there. Um, turn it back into usable soil. And then a lot of the local farmers from around here will go up there, grab their compost that they need and use it on their fields. So it's just like a nice full circle composting. Service. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and um, what's the price per yard running you at this time? Uh, honestly, I, I don't even know the exact numbers uh, to break it down like that. Uh, right now we get a big truckload of it for... Uh, like $700. And then okay. the, the gas prices for the delivery of it have consistently gone up ever yeah. since inflation. So um, right now, I think total for delivery, I think we're paying about $850. Okay. Per, per, and that's like a, 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 a two axle dump truck? Yeah, big old dump truck. Gotcha. All right, cool. Um, and so then with that, um, are you top dressing every single bed? What's your bed prep look like? Yeah, we uh, we top dress um, all of our beds every time we replant in them. Um, so whenever we crop out a bed, 
we basically just use our uh, flail mower to run over top of it. Um, we'll tarp it for a week or two, get back yep. in there, kind of clean up any uh, residual plant material. Um, we'll put our amendments down. We'll put, uh, we use about two big wheelbarrow loads of compost per 50 foot bed. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I don't have those numbers really broken down as far as uh, uh, what that would be per cubic yard. And um, so, and that's every single time you plant? Every single time we plant. Yep. Okay. And then you bring the PTR through. Do you uh, broad fork the beds or how do you keep the, the compaction out of there? Yeah, I, I haven't felt it necessary to really broad fork. Our, our soil around here is real sandy. Mm. Um. I, I do usually run a tiller through about once a year, uh, sometimes less, just depending on how bad it, it's gotten in the, the particular beds we're working in. Gotcha. All right. And um, so then what, what most of your crops is growing outside. Now, are you doing any caterpillar tunnels? Yeah, we have one caterpillar tunnel and one high tunnel. The the caterpillar right now is basically just being used as a little greenhouse. Okay. Um, but I would love to get more caterpillar tunnels in the future, um, especially for our environment out here. The the way it rains, nothing nothing likes it. No. Um, so keeping the weather off, there's I've, I've seen great benefits in that for lots of farmers in this area and i imagine all over the place but yeah yeah now you also do you do a wide range of crops i mean you do everything from herbs to greens to um solanaceous crops i mean you even see some um uh, uh celeriac here talk to me through what do you feel like is your do you have like a signature crop or one that people know you best for um, definitely our microgreens and our salad mixes. Uh, like I said, we, we, oh, and our flowers for sure. Um, but those are probably the three we've had around for the longest. Okay. And what, and when they buy those, are they buying them? Do you sell only by clamshells? I see some clamshells here. Do you sell also by bags? Uh, the salad mix is in bags for the most part. Um, we try to use those eco product, uh, mm. compostable containers yeah. for the markets where we can, um, for restaurant orders, we use, uh, big plastic bags we get from Uline. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the mushrooms, are you growing those in like a shipping container as well? Uh, we were growing all of our mushrooms in uh, grow tents that we had okay. set up in our barn. Um, I was really mainly in just one big uh, 10 by 10 uh, grow tent. Um, we had it decked out with um, all sorts of like uh, humidifiers. We had some lights in there. Um, so we're probably growing about 100 to 200 pounds of mushrooms every week out of there. So even just a small space like that, I mean, you can still produce quite a bit. Mm, yeah. And then were you starting all your own substrate or buying in pre-made blocks? Uh, we'd use all our own substrate. Uh, we'd okay. make our own sort of master's mix. Gotcha. And then steaming it and, and then inoculating the whole nine yards. Yep. Yeah. We actually had access to a lab. Um, it, it, it was like a home lab, but it was as like, 
as much as like walking into a scientific laboratory as as you could get they they had a, a big fancy flow hood all sorts of equipment um just, just really professional uh un unfortunately our, our relationship with those people has, has uh, uh diminished over the years and um that's why we've kind of had to take a step back recently from our mushroom growing just um yeah, we uh, need to build our own sort of laboratory facility to do all the inoculations and stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, I noticed you actually put potatoes on landscape fabric. Talk a little bit about that. How's that worked for you? Yeah, I mean, it worked pretty good this year. This was the first year I've, I was trying it. Um, really, it was just uh, trying to keep the weeds down, give the potatoes a little bit more of a head start, and then also keeping some of the sunlight off the more shallower potatoes, because we don't really yeah. kill them over the okay. uh, uh, yep. time that they're growing. Um, it, it worked really well for us. So you basically peeled that back and there's potatoes just hanging out. Oh, yeah. All, all happy as can be, ready to get picked up. Interesting. You didn't have any problem with um, rodents. No, um, we really don't have too many um, rodent issues at our farm, um, other than inside the barn. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So one of the things we obviously we do a lot of ginger and turmeric, and we put down um, silage tarps between to keep the weeds down and push the heat down into the soil. I'm almost wondering if early in the season we could use those silage tarps to help the potatoes, you know, stay. Uh, dark and then pull them, you know, because we harvest those potatoes by May, oh, yeah. end of May. And then those, uh, the ginger and turmeric don't go into June 1st or June 15th anyway. So I could use those, but I'm going to definitely try that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would work great. Yeah. Um, so how many, how many square feet are you guys actually farming then? Um, right now, I probably have close to about an acre and a half in production. Okay. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. Um, and then the farmer's markets, how many of those are you doing? Um, we, we've worked pretty much all of the ones that our area tends to offer here in Wilmington. Uh, we have a okay. lot of smaller farmer markets throughout the week. Um, yeah. Recently, within the past uh, four years, um, a group of us farmers have started basically our own farmer's market. It's a producer's only market. Mm. Um, so if you didn't grow or make the stuff you're selling, you can't sell it there. Yeah. Um, and that one, it has always way outperformed any of the other ones, at least for us. So, so at the moment, we're just really working that one. And then we also do a farm stand every Friday. Okay. From our farm property. Yep. And then do you have like a building you set that up in or how does that work? Yeah, the we have a barn on the property that has a patio with a overhang over it. Um, so we have an outside cooler set up out there, some wire tables that we've built. Um, and we kind of just display all of our produce out there and people can show up to the farm, purchase what they want. And gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And how do you advertise that? Is that kind of through word of mouth or... Yeah, word of mouth. Um, I, I try to make social media posts from time to time, um, newsletters, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I also notice you're doing value added. Talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah, we like to do uh, sauerkraut. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's amazing turning a dollar, two dollar head of uh, cabbage into a $15 jar of sauerkraut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's great too because a lot of people aren't aware of this but most fermented products that you uh, uh buy from the grocery store all have to be pasteurized to some degree and whenever you do that you denature a lot of the enzymes you kill off a lot of the microbes and you're not really eating a probiotic anymore yeah um so so it's nice to to offer something that's full of life full of potential and and full of goodness uh, uh to people that that wouldn't have otherwise normally have gotten that um yeah and that just has cabbage and salt in it yep just two ingredients nothing else and is that something you're producing on farm yeah we um we process it on the farm over the last couple of years just because we haven't had that much space in um, production. I've been buying the cabbage locally just whenever it's in season from another uh, friend who farms around here. Okay. Um, but this year, uh, like I said, we have that acre and a half and I probably have, I don't know, probably close to a quarter acre uh, all in cabbage. So wow. I'm looking forward to growing and and processing all of our own cabbage for this next time we do it yeah that'll be awesome now you're also doing things like um pepper flakes that sort of thing yeah for uh whatever reason hot peppers are always such a hard sell around here especially to like the farmers markets so yeah. anytime i grow them i always end up with so many that i just don't know what to do with yeah so last year I was like, well, I'll take all these cayennes and I'll just dry them out, grind them up and throw them in these jars and see if people will buy them this way. And and I swear to God, I sold out the first market I took them. Interesting. All right. Yeah, so, it's so crazy. What's your price point on those? Um, the powdered flakes. I mean, it depends on the size of uh, a container that you're putting them in. Um, the larger containers, you could charge anywhere like the um, trying to think of the size it's probably like a pint a pint container okay it's worth you could probably get like 25 dollars for oh wow and so how are people using that uh just in their cooking you know as an ingredient as a spice on top of pizza mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff gotcha um now let's talk a little bit about the flowers because you mentioned the flowers and uh those are kind of popular for you are you doing those just as edibles are you also doing like a cut flower program uh we're, we're just doing the edible flowers as of right now but the cut flowers are something we're trying to get into okay um last spring was our first time experimenting just growing some different varieties of things and seeing how they did um, I think we're going to step it up a little bit more this spring coming up and and, and kind of have that be more of a, a feature for our farm table yep. uh, at the markets. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's crazy to see people line up for flowers at the market sometimes uh, between the flowers and the bread. Uh, mm. there, there's always such a line. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. always jealous. I'm always like, man, about the same time I was started growing microgreens, I, I was also getting into baking bread and I feel like I might've picked the wrong avenue. <laughs> so then with the edible flowers, let's walk through the season a little bit. Cause like once you get into the deep summer, some of those early spring, like violas won't really do well. Yeah, we have some uh, tricks with the violas. Uh, we grow a bunch in pots and kind of move them to different spaces throughout the year just to kind of find the right sort of microclimates for them. Um, that or, you know, we'll keep them in tunnels, shipping container, just wherever we have the space. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. The same, yeah, the same with uh, different marigolds. 
um like the little gem marigolds the ones that have more of yep. that like riny citrus flavor yeah um we do the same thing with them a lot too okay so pots and then just move them around try to find cooler spots for them right 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 but i mean if if you're you're lucky enough to have a uh, a high tunnel or a greenhouse uh with like dedicated heat and whatever yeah. else then that, i mean that's the ideal spot yeah all right but in the summertime you like put them underneath the benches in the greenhouse to cool them down or yeah yeah just anywhere where they can get some shade uh we normally throw some shade cloth on over uh our caterpillar tunnel or something like that too yep. in the summertime so that always helps Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I'm also noticing here a picture of your ginger and turmeric and you go ahead and just plant that directly in the ground. Yeah. I've, I've never pre-sprouted. Okay. Um, you I, are uh, further South. Right. Yeah. We, uh, we, we get pretty warm down here pretty quick. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, the, the, I've, I've never felt the need to uh, um, start the ginger beforehand it always seems to do fine the turmeric can be a little bit more temperamental just where it's kind of waiting for that right soil temperature before it does anything yeah um that one i've considered possibly pre-sprouting and um, what does the right soil what do you what do you feel is the right soil temperature i i, I feel the turmeric likes it a lot warmer than ginger does interesting so the fact that you would grow them in separate houses or you still think they could stay in the same area um the ginger and the turmeric yeah uh, i have them growing in the same spot they're like the rows are right beside each other out in the field um mm -hmm. we didn't even grow them in our uh, high tunnel this year i feel like they did a lot better out in the field for us anyways interesting um, but keep uh, keep in mind too that we don't typically get a frost till around right now either where I'm yeah. at. So yeah, this so Sunday. Well, let me check the latest. You want to hear how cold it's supposed to be? This is we're recording this what the fifteenth of November. Yes, sir. Um, and well, now the latest forecast. This has gone all over the place. The latest <laughs> forecast is Monday morning is ten degrees. It's gonna be ten degrees here. Oof. No, thank you. Yeah. It, yeah. They had it. They had it earlier today at five degrees, and so I was kind of freaking to the crew. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's uh, way too cold. yeah, that's way too cold. But uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's literally as cold as it will ever it could be. I mean, like, because we typically don't get below like five or zero degrees throughout yeah, the entire season. Uh, you guys are in what Ohio? Yeah, we're Southwest Ohio, so Zone Six A. I mean, we'll still get down there, but typically not that that cold. So, right. Right. Yeah, man. But yeah, yeah I, I I do not envy. I, I mean, I I despise the heat around here in the summertime, yeah. and then not so much the heat, but the humidity. It, it's just yes. so relentless, and it just yes. doesn't let go at all. Yeah, um, and it's so draining. But at the same time, I I, I don't know what would be worse. Yeah, the the, the ten degrees or the hundred and ten degrees. Well, and here's how they say is like with, with, with heat, there's only so many clothes you can take off before you get right. arrested. But with, uh, you know, the cold, you can just keep putting more layers on, but say that to someone out, you know, it's, it's 15 degrees with a wind chill and your frost for your hydrant blew open. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's brutal. So, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about hemp. I know that you guys have done some of that on your farm. Yeah, the the hemp was um I I'm 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 a big advocate for cannabis and mm -hmm. uh un unfortunately here in uh North Carolina um 
THC cannabis is still considered illegal. Mm. Um, but hemp was a good sort of, you know, foot in the door, you know, um, something to, I don't know, start the, the conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, I, I just, uh, got the hemp license. Cause I, I was hoping that they would make it easier once, uh, the laws changed for, uh, people who already had a hemp license to navigate towards a you know regular cannabis license yes. a, a little bit easier um unfortunately we didn't grow any hemp this year um it it, it it's something that became kind of hard to to get rid of like it it, it it's something we don't grow a lot of ever yeah um, I, I feel kind of scatterbrained talking about this right now so i apologize i'm just trying to get it all lined up in my head yeah. But would you say that it's just the, the customer demand wasn't there, what you thought should be there, or just the, the conversation around it in your area is just not where you think it, it should be at this point? Um, I feel like the customer demand was there. Um, flooded markets were definitely a thing mm, there the, the yeah. first couple of years. Just everybody was growing hemp. And then once uh, harvest season came along, there just wasn't, well, wasn't anywhere to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, we actually uh, just started making all of our own products, uh, uh, pre-rolls and um, butters and stuff like that to sell. Yeah. Um, and we've been able to move it fairly well that way. Um, I, I, I market it to the restaurants too. Uh, I have a couple of restaurants that have gotten it for like different event dinners to cook with. Okay. Um, I had uh, one restaurant around here that made a, a hemp ice cream that was magically delicious. It, it was super good. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. hemp, well, it depends on how you, you know, distill it or take, you know, it kind of can take a little, taste a little grassy. So, you know, hemp ice cream, I'm just, I'm really interested in what that came out like. Oh yeah. No, it, it, it was super good. It, it wasn't astringent or grassy at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. It had a lot of flavor to it. It was great. Yeah. Um, so then with the plants, were you growing just like the regular, um, like lifter or, you know, those type of plants? Yeah. I, I had a couple of specialty varieties that I had gotten clones of from another yep. local hemp grower. Uh, one was called hop blonde. Another was pink Panther. Um, and, uh, I, I found out around here, at least for our area growing late season, uh, hemp plants outside was the best time of year to do it. So hedging them kind of throughout the summer inside somewhere and then come late August, early September, putting them outside. Okay. Um, uh, They don't have an issue with frost at all. Um, But what happens if you try planting a hemp crop in Wilmington during, you know, the the spring or, or whenever you can is during the middle of the summer or towards the end of the summer, it's still really hot out, uh, out here and humid yes. and damp. Um, so what happens is about 50% of your crop ends up getting trashed with uh, um, uh, bud rod or caterpillars and stuff like that. Whereas if you wait towards the end of the season, you don't have any of those issues. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Cause I know the further South you go, the more challenges you get with insects with the hemp crop. 
Right. Yeah. And, and they can be relentless in the summertime. So whenever you're like the summertime, if, if you plant them in the spring is whenever they're going to be stacking buds. But that's also going to be the time that all that moisture is going to work its way in there, that all the caterpillars are going to work their way in there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we've always had way better luck with uh, late season hemp crops down here. Gotcha. If you're growing them outside, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you'll be doing hemp next year? Um, I think we will. Uh, we just went from our pilot program to a USDA uh, uh, hemp program. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have to still go through some of the legal um, loopholes, or not loopholes, but legal things. Like I have to go get my yeah. fingerprints taken and send them off and get a background check still and send that in. But those are the only two things. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too much work. Um, all right. Share a little bit about like your overall marketing. You're doing the restaurants, you're doing the farmers, or you guys don't, or do you guys do a CSA? Yeah. Yeah. We do a CSA too. We just started doing a CSA. So um, okay. this fall is, uh, um, our second one that we've done. Okay. And talk a little bit about what that looks like. How do you, how do people pick up? Do you pre-pick it? Do they get to pick what they want? Yeah, well, our uh, fall CSA this season is a 30-person CSA, a 30-family CSA. Okay. Um, they get a box of produce every week. Uh, each box is between $35 and $40 worth of food. Um, I just pick what goes in the box that mm -hmm. week, whatever looks best, whatever's a peak harvest. Um, I will make substitutions. Like sometimes we offer eggs from a friend's farm and okay. uh, we have a couple of vegan people uh, mm -hmm. that are part of our CSA that don't want the eggs. So if I know that about somebody, I'll, I'll let them make a substitution for something like that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you just get what we got. And um, we have uh, an outside cooler at the barn. So pickups start for everybody on Fridays. They're more than welcome to come to the farm uh, Friday through Tuesday, any time of the day. We don't have to be there at all for you to get your box and uh, okay. you can grab it and go. Okay. Gotcha. And then um, how do you have a hard time filling the boxes or they fill pretty quickly? Oh no. Yeah. We haven't had an issue yet anyways with the CSA boxes, getting them filled. Um, it was a little stressful this fall. Like I, I knew I was going to have food to put in the boxes, but I mm -hmm. wasn't sure how quickly all my fall stuff was going to be ready. So I didn't want people to get disappointed if I was calling it a fall CSA, but they were still getting a lot of that summer veg in their first couple boxes, like eggplants and peppers and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, now with that fall CSA, do you still have things like, let's say cucumbers now, or is that kind of done for the year? Uh, we could have cucumbers now. Unfortunately, our crop got infested with uh, pickle bugs or pickle worms. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so unfortunately it was short lived this season for us. Now with pickle worm, is there anything you can spray organically? Um, there, there, there is stuff you can spray organically. We're actually a completely no spray farm. So, so we ah. don't use any of those, uh, um, uh, yep. biocides, even the organically certified ones. Um, that being said, I do release a lot of beneficial insects, especially into like our tunnels and stuff yep. like that. Mm -hmm. Joining me today is Dan from Steward, a mission-driven financial partner for farms across the U.S. Dan, value-added products are exploding right now, and especially farmers are really starting to see the profit in them. Why is that? 
Well, value-added products give the margin that farmers need to be successful. Selling you know, raw material, raw product at the market price is really challenging. And so if you can have a value-added product branded and sold direct, it really provides viability to the farmer. The challenge is there's a lot of pieces that have to come together in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. I know for us, taking a cucumber that we were getting a dollar for, turning it into a $7 or $9 jar of pickles made a huge difference in our profit margin. Now, there's a lot of steps, though, that you said need to come together. What are those? So the difference between value-added product is you're, you're dealing with processing, packaging, labeling, direct sales. And so a, a lot of farms uh, don't necessarily have the infrastructure. They don't have the marketing budget. They don't have all the pieces needed to not only create the products, but push them out into the market. And so we've been working with a lot of farms. We'll, we'll provide a loan for them to build out the equipment and infrastructure needed to, to make the value-added product, to process it and batch it and label it, and then also assist them with USDA grants, such as the value-added producer grant which can then cover the marketing costs, the labor, softer costs that are hard to finance, but which the farm may not have themselves. So when when we're looking at value-added products, it's the direction that we support the farms that we fund. That's the direction they should be going over time, more value-added products, better margin, more direct sales. But it takes a lot of uh, alignment with the organization to do that. And you wanna make sure there's not too much risk and too many resources. Uh, expended on that. And so by balancing that with financing and grants and other opportunities that are out there, it can be a really powerful mix for farmers. Mm-hmm. Like that one, two punch to push you over the edge and get you going. I think one of the things a lot of people get frustrated or held back by is a kitchen, you know, those, those facilities. Um, but you know, you can do development even in your own kitchen, as long as you're not selling that product. And then once you get that viability going, then you go find a shared use kitchen or do even build out your own with your help to take it to production's level. Now, we've worked with some farms on this. Talk a little bit about that. So one of the farms I enjoyed telling the story about most is Byler's Heritage Acres. is an Amish farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We connected them through a chef who had been buying from this farmer for years. He was selling milk through the co-op. The co-op went out of business. So him and other Amish farmers didn't have a market for their product. So Steward provided financing to do value-added processing for dairy to be able to sell butter and cream and yogurt and also help the farmer with a value-added producer grant to cover the labor and operational costs to set that up. And the chef who introduced us to this farmer then also purchased the final product and is selling that in his restaurants and at his shop. And so that was an example of taking a farmer who has a really great product, who's been cut out of the traditional market by you know, intermediaries falling apart, which happens often, and taking it within their own hands to do a value-added product, to cut out the intermediaries, and then get the margin that's needed for viability. Obviously, dairy is a very difficult business, mm-hmm. and you have to be in value-add to make the numbers work. Absolutely. If you're looking for a non-traditional, mission-driven financial partner who understands the business of regenerative agriculture, reach out to gosteward.com today. Yeah, talk through the beneficial insects you're using then. Right now, it's mainly just um, assassin bugs and Mm -hmm. uh, predatory wasps in the uh, high tunnels. We have a late crop of tomatoes and uh, bell peppers in there. Okay. Uh, So the predatory wasps, really take care of a lot of the the cutworms and the uh, 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 hornworms and the different caterpillars that really gravitate towards those solanaceous plants. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And then the 
uh, assassin bugs are great for just different types of stink bugs, along with a wide range of other insects. But um, wait a minute, you said the assassin bugs are good for the stink bugs. Yeah, yeah, specifically the soldier bugs. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Now talk to me about this. Is that something where you have to put them more in a tunnel or could you use it out in the field as well? Yeah, you, you, you can use any of the beneficial insects out in the field. Um, just keep in mind that it's going to take um, uh, continued applications to, to get yeah. their population kind of established at first. So it'll probably be a, a four to six week program where you'll have to release them kind of every week. Um, and like anything else, the more you know about the particular insects you're releasing, like what their food source is, kind of um, different plants that they gravitate towards, yeah, yeah, um, things like that. If 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 you can supply them with those things, kind of around your farm, you're you're gonna have a, a way better luck keeping them around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I know in the past we've done like cilantro in the middle of onions. Um, and just let it flower and go crazy because the beneficials just love that habitat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, what kind of advice would you give to a new farmer? Not to, uh, copy somebody else's, uh, business model. Exactly. Mm, that's a good um, one. Yeah, I, I I see people just copying people's like way of doing things, which is great, but there's so much context to that and, and to your particular, you know, business and operation that what might have worked for them might not be the best way for you to do it or vice versa. Um, and uh, I, I feel like there's not enough honesty uh sometimes in those like educational videos like the one thing with the microgreens is i always try to tell people is like we've been really successful with the microgreens but at the same time it's all about context you know yeah we're fortunate where we live in this highly populated area full of you know people who have um a decent bit of money who are health oriented um a, a town that has a big focus on fine dining um, so, so it's a little bit easier, I think, for me to move the microgreen products than it would for someone who's living in a more rural sort of landlocked area. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think that's always a, a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Now, yeah, because I, I, I think you have a really good point there because I see a lot of these ads online telling people, oh, you can make, you know, six figures with your microgreens. And I'm sorry, but there's only so many places in the U.S. that there's that many people looking for that product. Oh, for um, sure. And, um, you know, typically micro for most of the farms that I see successful with microgreens, microgreens are a small part of their business. Or if they're a little bit larger, they still are in a wide range of products that for other things in the salad. They're selling the cucumbers, the radishes, the lettuce, and, you know, people add the microgreens to that. So it's not a, you know, it's not a one-stop shop. And yes, it's a great way to get started with getting some initial customers, but um, you're not quitting your day job typically for that. For sure. And I, I always try telling people too, you know, growing the stuff's the easy part, you know, it, it, yeah. it's that selling side where, where things get complicated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk a little about the team you have. Uh, yeah. So we have a good group of people right now. I have, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, 
six people uh, working for uh, me at the moment. Um, it gets up to about 10 at, at uh, the start of spring. And then just over the, the summer, people kind of trickle away, um, you know, go go to other jobs or, you know, yeah. move or whatever. Um, and uh, right now, how I have it set up is I have uh, three, er, no, I have two full-time people um, and three part-time people. So uh, my one guy, Jake, he's basically like my right-hand man. He's the boss whenever I'm not there. Uh, uh, I rely on him for way more than anybody else. Um, but uh, it's taken us some time to, to really figure that out, you know, and I feel like I'm still kind of in the process of dialing in, like, what's an like, efficient way to set up uh, a business structure mm -hmm. um, as a team. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if you have any insight or uh, uh, tips for me, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah. Like, is there anything you look for in uh, people you're interviewing or, or specifically like hiring for? Yeah, I mean, we've turned over... With this current business, we've turned over more people than we have in past. Um, I'd say there's we made a, a pretty big mistake this year of trying to push too much on our team. Uh -huh. um, we tried to cram in too many enterprises. I mean, where we were doing, um, and again, I've got so many ideas, and unfortunately, um, I can just get so excited about stuff. Like we did, you know, we do elderberries in the spring. So we sell sticks. We sell over 10,000 sticks. And we will, again, we'll probably up that to about 20,000 sticks this year. So if you are listening and you're thinking about elderberries, we got you covered. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, so we do willow sticks as well. We have like eight different types of willows. Then we move into transplant production system, uh, transplant production season for home garden. Then we move into strawberry season. Then we do summer CSA. We did a... Uh, partner CSA with a local grocery store. Um, and then obviously, you know, we do a pretty large fire cider production as well, um, oh, which nice. actually should be launching here. Um, I, I don't know if we'll be able to launch it yet for basically farmers yet, because the goal with the fire cider. So guys, stay tuned to this, because this is actually a really exciting business that we're super excited about is it's, it's Ohio regional fire cider. So we're growing about nine tenths of what's in the jar or in the, yeah, the jar. And then obviously lemons are not growing yet. But we're looking into, you know, seeing if there's a there's some hardy lemons you can grow in this area. Um, so we'd love, to, I mean, we'd love to be able to say, you know, everything except the peppercorns is from our, from Ohio, because we actually are now being able to source local apple cider vinegar as well. Um, and the beautiful thing about it, if people don't understand what fire cider is, is it's a uh, basically medicinal tonic. Um, you know, according to USDA, I can't say it boosts your immune system, but we can say it definitely supports your immune system. Um, so if you feel colds coming on or you're getting something or, you know, another one of those winter bugs, start, you know, taking it every four hours and in two days, typically it's gone. But all those things said is that we had pretty high turnover because I feel like we burnt people out. And yeah. I'm a, um, a, a type three Enneagram, super, hope super high DI on the disc. And so I always see 
my focus is always laser focused on the problems. And so, you know, I might come up and say, hey, we're doing this wrong. And it's not like it's a down to anybody, but I'm just saying, hey, we've got a problem. We're going to fix it. And I have some ideas about fixing it, but it can come across to somebody who's working for me, especially the really sensitive that, oh my gosh, she's complaining about my work. And that's not at all. It's like, hey, I see something we can do better here. Um, so I've definitely had to learn that. So we lost uh, some pretty key people this year. Not, I mean, some of them we knew we were going to move on. Some we didn't think were long-term fits anyway, but we lost a bunch at a, a key point, which was really just kind of deflating and discouraging. Um, so one of the things we realized is we were trying to do too much low margin products. So like trying to do a partner CSA was very low margin. We had incredibly tight margins, especially because we priced the CSA before inflation hit. And then we fulfilled it when inflation hit. So we basically lost money on that CSA, um, which was really unfortunate. But I want to build a business and I really encourage farmers to build a business that's high enough margin that you don't need to push people all the time to do faster, better, bigger, faster. Um, you know, like, you know, get more carrots out of the field faster. The goal would be that people can work at a reasonable pace. And at the end of the day, you can stand around and have, and, and, and you know, have a, a conversation for a few minutes before you all feel like you've, you don't, you have to feel like you're always behind. Um, so that's something that we've really started looking at in our, and again, we're diving into the numbers on all of this. Um, but the number one thing we're hiring, because that was the original question you asked, but I feel like I kind of need to go a little bit of a roundabout way is we are looking for passion. Um, we are looking for people that we know can work hard. We really don't care if you have the necessary experience. We can train for that. Um, now, granted, we're right now hiring for a farm manager, and we are looking for a couple of years experience because we want you to be able to come on and hit the ground running. Uh, we need you to be able to manage you know, the production of the different enterprises um, with some experience and have a managerial experience. So in that, you know, I'm more looking for, I mean, if someone comes to me with, hey, I've, I know botany, I know how to manage. I could chain them for our specific type of farming rather quickly. Um, but if someone comes with no management experience and like we had someone apply who said, I get overwhelmed and procrastinate easily, that's kind of a red flag because that tells me that when the chips are down and you've got like a crew of four people standing in front of you and you'd like, hey, uh, you, I can't have you panic and be like, I'm not quite sure what to do or waste time with people. You need to, a good manager is thinking three steps ahead and watching people and say, okay, I think, you know, uh, Beth over there, she's almost done with the uh, Napa cabbage. Okay, so I'm gonna move her over here. So I'm gonna make sure that I have that stuff set up so she can seamlessly move into that instead of wasting, you know, 10 minutes trying to figure out what's next. Those 10 minutes add up and that's what causes you to be um, not profitable. So that's the key of the managerial. But I mean, for general people, we are looking for character. Um, you know, we're looking for um, make they have the the passion, so they make sure they want it. The character is like that they're gonna you know show up on time, do their job. Um, we pay really well. Um, I would say compared to what I've seen other people pay in the area. Um, I mean, we're we're basically. I mean, I don't know what's your area, but we're fighting with McDonald's offering twenty five dollars an hour. So you've got to offer really good money. And I mean, obviously we don't offer benefits. We'd love to offer benefits. That's definitely something on our to-do list. And like, you know, once the farm is more profitable, um, we will start, you know, put that in there because again, good people, we want to support families. Um, 
another mistake I feel like we made was we really, one of our passions is to support those in our community with the farm. And that is through obviously feeding our community through awesome food and, and some medicinals as we're starting to dive into that side of things, but also support, you know, families that may be struggling. And a lot of it's come down to supporting maybe like single mothers or, you know, moms, which would like to get a second job. Now here's the problem. And again, this is just not anything against uh, this, but I'm just going to bring this up because this has meant that we've had to change our business model today. Again, one of our moms that works for us called because she had a sick kid. And unfortunately, in and I may get some feedback for, uh, you know, some pushback for this. I'm not trying to offend anyone or step on anyone's toes. I'm just saying it how I see it. Is that in this world, let's say, a, a, you know, a dad has a kid sick. Dad's typically going to work and just, you know, for some reason, and the mom's going to stay home and take care of the kid. But if you've got a you know, a single mom, a lot of the time she does not have anyone to stay home with that kid. So that means she's having to miss a day of work. Now, again, we're very free. We feel like we try not to give anyone too much pressure to come in. Like if you got to stay home, you've got a kid, your family comes first. But here's the problem. This happened today to us is we are like, again, looking at down, you know, five degrees on Monday. And so we know we have to get out of the ground and we've already started to cut team back because sales are dropping off. But now I'm down again, one of my core people, which can really, you know, get stuff out of the ground. So that meant I was out there scrambling to try to get things done. Again, if I'm hiring a, a 25 single guy, I'm not going to have that kind of, um, that kind of, you know, having to, to, you know, support her family and the aspect of, you know, when a kid's sick or something. So that's why we've started to change our business model to really start to cut back a little bit on the fresh veg and really start to push into some of the products that we can do that are not like as urgent, like fire cider, you know, anyone can go out and start working on that crop. I mean, like they have to slice, you know, hundred pounds of onions and 50 pounds of this and 40 pounds of this. And so that doesn't require the, oh my gosh, CSA is going to pick up in two days. We've got to go hoof and get all this stuff out of the ground and get these back packed in shares and out the door. So again, that's passionate. We're passionate about supporting those type of people in our community. And that's just a little thing that, that we really are uh, really want to make sure it happens. So that means that we're changing our business model to try to support them and us a little bit better. Um, um, but other farms are not like that. And other farms are hiring those, you know, 18, the 24 year olds. And, uh, you know, they're getting, you know, maybe three, four months and then those people are quitting or they're, you know, they're just there for one season. We really want to have long-term stability. So that's why we're looking for, um, this particular type of worker, even though we know that they come with their own inherent challenges. Um, we also do an incredible job with uh, betting. So we have, um, if you go to our website, anyone can go to our website, they can look at our job application. Um, we also have values and they have to say that they've looked at the values and read the values. And I'm sure the values tick some people off, um, but that's what's important to us. And we're building the farm that we want to live at. We want to be here for the next, you know, 20 years and enjoy working at it. So we kind of put a few things in the application process as roadblocks to make sure that only the people that can, uh, you know, double checking and, and see through a few things can, can get through. Um, like we have math problems in our application. We have personality tests in our application. We have, um, you know, 
actual, we try to make sure that they'll miss something. We put something in a small type someplace and, and hope that they'll catch it. I mean, you always want people that are, you know, can catch, especially in certain positions on your farm that can catch some little, some of these, you know, these, these things that may not be like, we had someone the other day swap out a, a hot sauce bottle of fire for Inferno. Big difference. The customer was not happy. <laughs> So that's the kind of things that we want to make sure um, uh, that it's important to us and our team. Um, again, there's a lot of people out there. I guess I guess to kind of summarize that little tangent there would be the big thing is um, hire slow, fire fast. Uh, we have to be able to trust you. So if we feel there's any aspect of not being able to trust you, um, that we need to, uh, you know, they're not going to be here. Um, I mean, we, again, we're, again, this is on a podcast that a lot of people can listen to. We have, you know, very open in our office with the money. I mean, there's, um, you know, the change pouch and most of the people in our team, because we trust them come out, make the change for the bus in the morning for our retail store, put it out there. Granted, we have cameras out there, but I mean, in all honesty, our team could be, if they wanted to siphoning money off the top. And we would never really know because we don't have a clear accounting on that just because of how that's set up. Um, so that's why we have to be able to trust them implicitly. And we do. I mean, everyone that works here, um, we have young kids. So we have to we we have to have a, an environment that's very family friendly. That's definitely something we asked on the interview. Um, like, you know, how do you do with kids? And we make working interviews. So that, I think that's another key to our success is doing a working interview. I don't think we've really done a working interview at the end of them. They're like, oh yeah, this isn't for me. Um, we've been more desperate in some instances than others. And we've also selectively selected people out. So where if we, you know, someone will come work for us, we had someone, they were fabulous in the aspect that they could just crank through things. They were faster than anyone else on the farm. I mean, like you said, I need a hundred bags of beets and they would be done within an hour. But this person wasn't really reliable. And the other problem was we couldn't, there was just something there. We couldn't quite nail them down on certain things. Like they would say one thing to some people and another thing to other people, make both people mad at the other, at the third person. And so like, we finally came to a point that I was looking at my um, HR person who after this, this was the second time that she'd made me and the HR person mad at each other because like, but this person, but she said, and I said, no, but she told me. And so we're like, you know what? We just, this is the kind of drama we don't need. And so yeah. we didn't, we didn't fire this person. We did, we intentionally did not give a raise. And so we just let them run out their clock. Um, and they just, again, found something else. And again, I wish them all the best. If, you know, if, if the circumstance has been a little bit different, they would have probably been fabulous for us. But again, because of the different things we've got on here, it just ended up not being a good fit. We just kind of let them self-select out. Um, again, I would say I'm not the person to come to on how to have a great team. I feel like I'm <laughs> a failure half the time at this. I do feel that we are in the last couple months, we've actually started to develop a fabulous team around us. We're super grateful for the folks we do have. Um, we got some rock stars that we hope stay with us for a really long time. If they don't, again, more power to them. Wish them the best. Um, but I would say, you know, celebrate them, you know, praise them. Um, and um, again, be generous. It's not easy farming. Farming's not easy. So, you know, that's the little things that count. It's the, you know, one of our team members 
Unfortunately, she is moving on. She brought in popsicles for the team. That She didn't need to do that, but she just did that out of her own goodness of her heart because she knew we had a tough day happening that day. And so those are the little things. I mean, like, um, you know, we have a our, our OnStorm Restill store and we do cider slushies on there. Some of the hot days are young kids. All right, guys, appreciate your hard work. You really pushed it out the last hour. Go get yourself a slushie on your way home. Um, so they really appreciated that. And that, you know, again, that actually, that enterprise paid for itself this year, but it also paid for itself in just crew morale of keeping those, the young guys and um, yeah, crew moving. Yeah, that, that that's important. The little things like that. And I'll, I'll admit, I'm not the best at thinking of those little things all the time, but my girlfriend's really good at yeah. reminding me and, and taking care of that stuff for me yeah. sometimes. So I'm very yeah. thankful for that. Yeah, but everything you said definitely resonates with me, especially the the trying to find um, uh, different ways to tell people things where, where they're not going to take it so defensively, mm, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. I would say our best hiring has, we obviously love to hire internally. So, and we also are, as I have a business coach and his big thing is develop your farm team. So we have a bunch of young kids that we are trying to work through the system. So right now we have four younger kids, which we are working to basically train for leadership roles. Cause again, I've seen 16 to 18 year old kids work way better than a 35 year old because they've been around for a while and you've been trained for multiple years. Um, Uh so that's one thing we are working with. We are, um, we are pretty active in the local homeschooling community. We find really good quality with a lot of homeschoolers that can be really helpful there. Um, and, um, yeah, my wife is excellent at that, you know, the bringing out coffee cake or bread or something to the crew on, on those cold days. Yeah, um, or, or, or just like the, the little things you kind of have growing kind of around the farm, just making sure everybody gets a little bit of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The fun stuff. Um, I did want to say that like, uh, along my farming venture, I, I really learned to farm through watching all the old YouTube videos from Curtis Stone and, uh, mm. uh JM yep. and, uh, even you, uh, uh-huh. uh, the videos from, uh, you up at Connor, I, I think might've been, uh, Connor Crick, uh, Crickmore's the never seen yeah. farm. Yep. Um, that, that might've been the first time I saw you. And then, uh, I, I saw you doing some stuff with Curtis and, uh, yep. so, so I followed you for a while and, uh, I look up to you and everything you've done. So I, I, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, absolutely. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate all the work you've done looking through your Instagram. The farm looks beautiful and you're doing some innovative stuff. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem, Michael. Thanks for having me. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Steward works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Steward has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Steward is proud to be a certified B Corp., Seek financing or support a loan campaign at gosteward.com. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.